This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit SalemPresWS.org. That's SalemPresWS.org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon. And as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather in person. verses and I'll be reading from the NLT version so if you take a second jump to that on your e-liturgy <laughs> and if you would stand with me we're going to posture ourselves before the holy uh, trustworthy and true word of God <clears throat> Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, We have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith, and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith, but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary, and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So, the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. 
if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is, when the scriptures mean, when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there is no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Speak to God. Okay, I was told to stand right where I was standing. There. Yes. Don't see there. Okay. So, obviously we're looking at Romans still, and um, we have just passed the, um, in some ways, the center of the letter. It wasn't the center in terms of, of the number of words or the chapter, but um, like we said last week, uh, Martin Luther called it the chief point and the central place of the entire epistle, in fact, of the entire Bible. So what we looked at last week uh, is the central thesis statement. If you write a paper, you're supposed to have a thesis statement. That's what Paul's thesis statement was. Uh, Romans 3.21 might be the, the simplest expression, Romans 3.21. What Paul's saying is there has now been revealed in Christ a righteousness um, that comes down from above. It's a righteousness that God gives us. Um, it's not a righteousness that we bring from below. It's not from our own works. It's a gift of Jesus Christ. And the only way we can receive that is by faith. And what Paul does tonight is he says, I'm going to show that's not only is that true, but that that is also one of the, the main points of the Old Testament. And he's thinking about his Jewish readers here. And he's saying that in many ways, the whole epic saga of the Old Testament is also based on that same idea of justification by faith, by faith alone. And so what he does very cleverly is he picks out the most important Old Testament figure, which is Abraham. And he says in verse 1 that Abraham was the founder of our Jewish nation. So this is the bedrock of Judaism. And what Paul does is he quotes Genesis 15, 6, and he asks, what did Abraham discover about being made right with God? And what he discovers is um, that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's verse 3. So that's what Abraham discovered. So Abraham knew this as well. Um, what Martin Luther was talking about, what Paul was talking about, what we call the gospel, Abraham knew that as well. That's what Paul's saying here. And so I just want to look at the same idea that um, we are counted right before God. That's the word that Paul uses. God counted him as righteous. Some translations say credited 
him righteousness. It's a accounting word, logizomai. It means that you add something to someone's account. So that's the first thing is that God counted righteousness to Abraham. And the second thing is because of his faith and only his faith. Not because of anything he did. So those are the two points. Counted righteous because of faith. And like I said, the word accounted could also be credited. And uh, some of you, as I did, suddenly had a credit in our account um, a few weeks ago. There was $3,400 just suddenly credited to our bank account. Out of, out of nowhere, this credit came. And um, that is the kind of crediting that Paul is talking about here. There's absolutely nothing that was done. We didn't lift a finger. Kind of almost felt weird and wrong just for this amount to just show up in our bank account. But that's what was going on there is we were being credited righteousness or credited money, and it was not an account of works at all. And I want you to imagine if suddenly, instead of $3,400 or whatever you got, um, it was $34 million just suddenly just showed up. And you didn't do anything to earn that. It would be a kind of a weird feeling. But Abraham was credited with more than that. He was credited with actually becoming international royalty. I think one of the most important lines in this passage is in verse 13, where Paul says, God gave the whole earth to Abraham and to his descendants. In some ways, that's what his righteousness was. Um, Another translation that's more literal says that God made Abraham to be the heir, like H-E-I-R, like Prince Charles is now the heir to the British throne. That God made Abraham to be the heir of the entire world, that he would inherit the entire world. A lot of times we think of righteousness, uh, Protestants will sometimes think of righteousness very individualistically, and this is putting a bigger spin on it and saying that what that righteousness that God credited him was, was having this global impact where he would become the heir of the entire world. Now we got to think about who Abraham was. Abraham Um, was a pagan, idolater, Gentile. Um, He was fearful. He was faithless. His name was originally Abram. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. A-B-R-A-M. That was his original name. And God just found him wandering out in the desert, and he just chose him for no reason at all. Certainly not for any righteousness of Abraham. He just chose him. And when he chose him, he said, I'm going to give you this promised land. But a famine came, and Abraham took his family down to Egypt, which is not a good idea. That was not an act of faith. Already a bad idea. And so when he got there, the Pharaoh saw that his wife, Sarah, was beautiful, and the Pharaoh uh, tried to take her into his harem. And what Abraham did to protect himself was simply to act like she was his sister. So completely faithless, no trust in God, self-protective. That's the kind of guy that God is working with here, Abram. Um, he's kind of skittish. He's faithless. There's another story where he sleeps with his servant girl in order to produce the child of promise because he was too impatient. So uh, Abraham is not a diamond in the rough. You know, we sometimes think of him as like this diamond in the rough. There's just, there's just, at the heart of this guy is this amazing character, but that's not really what Abraham was. I think of him more like our dog, um, Ricky, who when we got Ricky had... Um, just this incredible fear and timidity and would not even come out of the crate that we got him in. And even when we finally got him to come out, he would still not let me pick him up at all. And I I told Margie, this is a very rude dog and we should get rid of this dog. She loves this dog and she loved the dog so well, so continuously, that 
Now, uh, Ricky's an incredibly trusting, um, amazing dog because of the amount of love. And again, and again, and again, the affirmation that God just keeps giving to Abraham uh, tirelessly, working with this guy, not a dime in the rough, but uh, Abraham lo- God loves Abraham so much that he's gonna u- he-, he is going to find a way to make Abram the heir of the world, the one who will bless the entire world. And what he does is, uh, like I said, he gives him the promised land. And so Abraham eventually comes back up into the promised land, out of Egypt. And God said, I'm going to make this land so amazing. And I'm going to make your people so hospitable. And the law is so just. And there'll be so much equity. And I'm going to welcome in the stranger and the alien and the sojourner. Uh, You're going to be the place that every immigrant in the world would want to come. This place... uh, you know, in the middle of a desert, you have like rolling hills. If you've ever been to the promised land, uh, Palestine, there's vineyards, there are fig trees, there are fields of wheat, there are waterfalls, there's even a snow-covered mountain, there's palm trees. This is like an oasis in the Arabian desert. And God says, I'm going to make this place so amazing that, that the nations are going to want to come there, almost like it's a vacation, um, like, it's a, like it's a resort to come to. And in fact, we see in the Old Testament, the Queen of Sheba comes there. Um, it's beginning to happen where the promised land is going to make uh, all the nations want to come there. And I just thought about, you know, Disney World and how uh, it just draws in visitors from all over the world. And they come to Disney World and they're amazed by its beauty, uh, by its hospitality. Now imagine that, but then combine that with this other element of, uh, of justice and righteousness. And the laws of Israel that were so filled with, um, with peace and uh, creating um, a land that flourished. Even the animals flourished. Imagine Disney World as like a, a net zero energy institution. that's totally sustainable and the food is locally sourced. So you get that whole element of it's very green. And imagine like in charge of the whole thing is uh, Desmond Tutu, uh, who was the head of the Truth and Reconciliation committee who ended apartheid in South Africa. So you're combining both uh, the beauty and the fun and the the enjoyment of that with this incredible social justice where they have, let's say they had regular marches uh, for causes, for just causes. And then in the the center of the whole thing, instead of, you know, Sleeping Beauty's castle, you would have like a cathedral, like St. Paul's Cathedral. And that's what the nations were called to come and enjoy and then take back to their land, so that it eventually uh, Abraham would be the heir of the entire world, would bless the entire world. That's what the righteousness is that God promises to give him. And when Abraham is 100 years old, and there's no child, and he's completely doubting, and he's acting out, um, God says, uh, let me show you something. I know you don't believe me, but let me show you something. And he takes him to a mountaintop on a cold and cloudless night, and in Genesis 15, 5, he says to Abram, look up at the stars in the sky and try to count the number of stars, if indeed you can count them. And he says, that is what you're going to do to this world. You're going to make it, a, uh, you're going to be, you know, this sky full of stars and your descendants will be everywhere. And indeed today there are 3 billion uh, people who call uh, Abram their father, father of faith. Um, but even then, when God shows him the sky of stars, Abram doubts, still doubts. 
And God's like, okay, that's it. I'm going I'm to do something that you will never forget. And I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. And so in Genesis 17, 5, it says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So Abraham means the father of many. So from now on, when anyone calls his name, you know, his wife, his children, servants, Abraham, he remembers who he is, which is the father of many nations. Even though he's 100 years old and childless, God gives him this promise. And essentially, uh, verse 17 puts it like this. Uh, God says, I am the God who creates things out of nothing. And I, I like the translation that's more literal, that God is a God who calls things into being that are not. And God loves to do this. He loves to call things into being that are not. He calls people names before they become that type of name. So when God sees Gideon, for instance, in the Old Testament, he's cowering, uh, terrified in a wine press, terrified of the Midianites, God comes to him and says, Hail, mighty warrior. And sure enough, Gideon becomes a mighty warrior. And when, when Jesus meets Peter, uh, whose original name was Simon, who's like completely impulsive, and uh, he's just blown about by every wind, and God says, you're going to be called Peter, which is rock. And sure enough, God calling him rock makes him more and more stable. And then when God meets Saul, the uh, Pharisee, who was this violent arrogant man, God says, I'm going to call you Paul, which means humble one or small one. And by calling him that, he becomes that. So God is a God who calls things into being just by saying them. Like, let there be light, and there was light. Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus comes forth. And so he calls Abraham, calls Abram, Abraham, and he makes him the father of many nations. In the uh, line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, there's one, there are these four teenagers uh, that go into this land of Narnia, this uh, magical land through a wardrobe. And one of the four children, the oldest name is Peter Pevensey, and he's kind of a jerk. He is a kind of vain, snooty teenager, always teasing his younger sisters, putting down his younger brother. But when he gets into Narnia, he meets Aslan, who's kind of a Christ figure, Aslan the Lion. And Aslan calls him Peter the Brave. And uh, the Narnians begin to address him as High, High King Peter the Magnificent. And uh, Aslan knights him and gives him a sword, uh, gives him a shield. And you begin to see in the book, um, Peter begin to change and actually become this braver, uh, more dignified, more, a less petty person. Um, and, you know, you might feel um, very lonely and small and uh, insignificant right now in this time, um, all day in your pajamas, maybe looking at screens in your apartment, your house. And God says, I have given you a new name. And it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 17, there is a stone, there's a white stone with a name written on it. To anyone that believes, there's this name, and we don't yet know what that will be. But it is, it is that name that God says, uh, I count you as righteous. I call you a new name. I make you a new thing. There's this future thing out there that you are, that he is drawing you into, this new identity, glory self, uh, Peter Pevensey becomes Peter the Brave, High King of Narnia. And there's some name there. And, and faith, moving to the second point, faith is believing in that name. Uh, faith is grasping, grasping a hold of the fact that that is my name. 
and walking forward with that reality. And so when uh, God calls Abraham the heir of the world, faith is saying, yes, uh, that's who I am. You know, even as you open your fridge again to get more food and uh, don't really do anything to invite your neighbors over um, in this time uh, where it's very hard to believe there is a glory self, faith is grasping a hold of that. In 1 John 3, 2, John says, Beloved, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. So there is a, there is a definite you um, that is calling you now. There's a future self. And faith is that glimpse of, of that identity, that righteousness that you've been given. I think about it like uh, you're climbing a really high mountain, and uh, it is so high that there are always clouds, mist, snow around it. And so you can rarely see it, but you're climbing it. And at times the clouds part and the sun shines through, and you see this jagged peak, this gorgeous, amazing, magnificent, sublime uh, peak. And it gives you, you know, the courage to keep going. And that, that parting of the clouds, which occasionally we experience, is where we see uh, who we're going to be. We see that righteousness. So faith uh, is, is not this uh, amazing like power, like a superhero has this power to believe things really strongly. And, you know, I have confidence uh, that this will happen. That is not what faith is. It's not like the power of positive thinking or optimism. Um, it's, it's more the, the thing you're looking at is amazing. You know, it's not the, the, the sight is the amazing thing, but the thing you're seeing is the amazing thing. Uh, verse 5 says, people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith. Um, and it's so easy for Protestants to make faith into a new work, because we're all about faith. And so then we start concentrating on their faith, and we say, I really admire, you know, Austin's faith, or I am amazed by Courtney's faith. Uh, or Dakota is such a faithful person, and we misplace the the locus of amazement. It's not about their faith; it's about the thing they're seeing that's so amazing. And when you see something beautiful, when you see a mountain that just takes your breath away, um, you don't talk about your eyes. You don't talk about you know. You have really good vision, and um, the way you focus your eyes on that mountain is is just stunning to me. You don't talk about that at all. You talk about what you're seeing. You talk about the thing itself, uh, which is the righteousness that has been credited to us, that has been given to us, that is in the future. And uh, the prophet Micah saw a mountain, and this was in a, a very terrible time in Israelite history. This was a time when uh, Israel was more violent, more unjust, uh, more divided, than even America today. Um, it's, it was one of the darkest periods in Israel's history, and the prophet Micah is writing. And Micah doesn't have any hope in what the Israelites are going to do, but God shows him a mountain. And again, this is the God who calls things into being out of nothing. And it's called the mountain of the house of the Lord. Actually, Isaiah saw the same vision. And I don't know who got it from who or if they compared notes, but they almost say exactly the same thing. They both uh, describe this joyous parade where all the nations are climbing what he calls the highest mountain, Mount Zion. Um, and they're climbing to get uh, to the very top where the temple is, where God is. 
And as they're doing this, as they're making this march, they're taking their swords and their spears and they're turning them into plowshares and pruning hooks. They're turning weapons of violence into gardening tools. And instead of being terrified by their enemies and kind of holed up in basements, they are making these luxurious meals with friends. And so Micah says they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation. Neither will they train for war anymore. But each person will sit under his own vine and his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. That's the vision that Abraham had, where the entire world would be given to him and his descendants. That's Israel coming fully to life. And I think that uh, this is what, in some, some ways, Martin Luther King saw in that jail in Birmingham when he was arrested, uh, filled with hatred around him, um, people hating him, not himself. He, he was able to empty himself of hate and fear, probably because he saw this same kind of vision. And he wrote in a letter from that jail in Birmingham something similar to what Abraham and Micah saw. He said, let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away. And the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not-too-distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all of their scintillating beauty. I mean, he said that at a time that was worse than now. He saw this vision. And it's the vision, as a Christian, he knew that Micah saw, that Isaiah saw, that Abraham saw. It's this future thing that God is calling into being. So imagine planet Earth, this big sphere at the bottom of this mountain. And imagine humans trying to push it up this mountain you know, for 2,000, 4,000 years, making almost no progress. All of our efforts to push are making no progress. And then all of a sudden, at the top of the mountain, a man appears, in some sense from the future, this man who comes from the future, and uh, he is able to draw the, the whole world towards himself. And his power and ability are so much stronger than all these people pushing that he is able to take that world up to the top of that mountain. And that is what uh, Abraham believed in, is this man from the future. In fact, uh, we believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the man from the future. Um, and it's, it's not so much that uh, this man just changed from one substance into another, from a physical body into a spiritual body, but almost more that the, the future came into the present and broke into the present. And we saw this first fruit of the new creation. Verse 17, Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life, and who creates new things out of nothing. So as we uh, move to sing this last song about the church, uh, let's remember uh, the one who came and died and gave himself completely for us, and then rose again so that he could draw our world into his, uh, into his new world of justice and peace.